Welcome to this special episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. We haven't technically started season nine, but it's definitely on the way. In the meantime, listen to this episode with one of our favorites, New Directions for Student Leadership Special Issue Editor, Dr. Julie Owen. The Leadership Educator Podcast is always your go-to resource for in-depth insights and practical tips on enhancing leadership education. Whether you're a passionate educator or seeking valuable strategies for teaching, learning, and program design, this podcast is tailored to your needs. Don't miss out on our episodes. Make sure you subscribe today. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. If you've listened to any of our past episodes, you've seen a pattern of NDSL issues sprinkled throughout our archives. Our good friends and supporters of the show, Dr. Susan Comavez and Kathy Guthrie, contacted us in early 2020 to engage in a partnership around promoting new issues of the series as they were being released. Today's episode is actually the 12th one in that series. All 12 are available in our podcast archives. It's really exciting to be able to dive into these new directions for student leadership issues. And so today's episode features editor Dr. Julie Owen. Uh, She's an associate professor of leadership studies at George Mason University. And Julie is a colleague and a friend. And uh, we had a lot of fun when she joined us back in September of 2020, talking about her book on women in leadership development, which you should definitely check out. And she just released another book co-authored with Dr. Susan Kamavez called A Research Agenda for Leadership Learning and Development Through Higher Education, which we may just have to have her and Susan on uh, in the future to chat a little bit about that project as well. So as I mentioned before, she recently edited issue number 178 of New Directions for Student Leadership. It was released in the summer of 2023, and it was titled Deepening Leadership Identity Development. Julie, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast with us today. Thank you for having me. Always a joy to have good generative conversations with Dan and Lauren. And sometimes, you know, pop culture sneaks in, often have. (laughs) And then also, um, as you were talking, Dan, I was like, none of those titles, the books roll off the tongue, right? We really have to get back (laughs) titles and leadership education, especially the one that Susan and I just had come out. It's like three sentences title. So anyway, we're glad glad to be for having me. We always look forward to having you come on our show. Um, We pride ourselves on being very conversational. And we we say like, these are the conversations we would have at colleagues and conferences. And I know after we get past the joy and excitement, the giggles, the how are you, the smiles, the warm hugs, we kind of get into kind of what's happening in your life. So this feels super natural to have this conversation with you about the recent NDSL issue. Can you tell us a little bit about how this came about for you? Meaning, how did you get tapped to um, be the editor for this special series? Yes, it was actually a case of FOMO, fear of missing out, right? So um, Susan Comabes uh, and uh, Kathy Guthrie approached me and said, you know, since you were part of the original leadership identity development team back in 2005 and 2006, um, would you want to write this issue um, and I said, I have two other, I have too much going on. I have all these other things in the works. And I'm like, well, if it wouldn't be you, who would you recommend? And I was like, um, myself, <laughs> you know, I had one of those moments. I was like, I really have been actually wanting to do this for a very long time because there's been such cool, um, emergent research around LID that has not been published. Many of it's in the form of unpublished theses and dissertations. So I felt like the coolest stuff happening 
around these models was um, needing to be amplified and elevated. So, um, so I was honored to do it. But so I laugh with them. Like I, it was a bad timing, but a great process. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Love that. And such a interesting evolution of this model and the research around it. And it was really interesting to read your, the, the editorial comments around um, just kind of telling that story and going down memory lane. And I mean, I remember I was just getting into the field, teaching my first leadership classes, I think it was 20, 2008. And so that stuff was kind of hot off the press at the time and just trying to, uh, you know, immerse myself in everything I could find around student leadership development. And, and that was, I mean, it really is one of these like exemplar studies and like how to do, I mean, in some ways, how to do qualitative research, how to do grounded theory study, you know, learning more about the backgrounds that, that, that writing and, and research team had had and, and how it really set us up to just to understand so much more beyond like uh, Pasquale and Terenzini and, and Aston and Aston and who certainly like led the way, right. But to really just dive in specifically just on leadership identity, you know, and, and thinking about uh, that and, and how many dissertations and theses and how many times it's been cited, just really, really, you know, kudos to you and your team for all that and to, you know, bring it, bring it back. Right. It's a, it's a reboot, you know, um, just like with many of the, uh, the summer movies and things that we're, that we're seeing with, with some of these things, <laughs> you know, I know. <laughs> right. yeah. So I'm just, you know, curious, you know, I was thinking about that. What were some of the things that maybe you were surprised to learn um, as you were going through this or, or that you maybe you learned from some of the um, teams of authors that contributed to uh, all the great chapters in this issue? Yeah, Dan, you did that so well just to honor like the original. It's hard to believe, like I'm having struggles believing that I've been part of a research team that was, we were really gathering the data 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Right. Um, and we got on to other things, you know, the, the multi-institutional study of leadership came along, University of Maryland with John Dugan and Susan and other things were taking precedence. And meanwhile, the LID research, people have been finding it so meaningful and useful. So we didn't, it wasn't intentional. Nothing was seeded or planted to grow that body of research. But I look, you know, all of a sudden we pause and look back 15, 20 years, and there's been this huge proliferation of people doing really, really cool studies. Um, I thought the expansion of the studies have been in like four areas. One, um, people were really looking at LID and saying, if leadership is an aspect or a form of identity, how does it interact with other aspects of identity? So as we become more interested in intersectionality and people People, the multiple identities people hold, um, people are looking at lit and gender and sexual orientation and citizenship status and race and ethnicity. Um, so I started tracking, I made it just a Google doc. And so every time I'd get an alert about somebody doing a dissertation or a thesis or a new article with lit, I put it in there. And there's over 150 article uh, citations in that now. Um, sorry, uh, yeah, the scholarly notations. And I've given that to the new uh, the National Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs. So Melissa Bracco is going to have that file online. So people want to access it and add their own research because I know there's things we don't know about. Uh, but so one area was examining around identity, which we have vastly needed. The other is looking people looking at lid in different kinds of institutional contexts. So leader, how does leadership identity development happen at community colleges, at HBCUs, at minority serving institutions, um, at selective colleges or interesting um, dissertation on lid at Georgetown, right? <laughs> you know, so like, what does that look like? Um, fast forward, it was much harder to get uh, folks to make that three force transition if you know the lid model into more relational thinking um, because positionality was so ingrained in how the university culture runs. Um, and so that was a, a secondary and people looking at lid in different disciplines. So medical and nursing schools using lid engineering programs. So like it's like, wow, there's just all this stuff. And um, really this was a great excuse as a chance to like dig into that and to like 
share some of this with other folks who are doing this work. And then even on campus and student affairs uh, folks doing leadership, uh, co-curricular leadership, um, Greek life and lead, student government, how does that affect leadership identity, athletics, um, student activism. Uh, there's folks who did looked at lid in the context of leadership that program. So really interesting. Um, and then there's a lifespan story about pre-college leadership identity and post-college. And there's more and more evolution of that too. So I think it's four or five ways that I felt like the field had been growing. So I'm excited about all of that. Dan, like I'm not going to pick a favorite child, right? <laughs> um, but what the the nomenclature we came to use is that this would, we're calling a deeper lid. So I actually want to sort of coin that as a thing, right? So lid was the foundational research and deeper lid is what all of these scholars are contributing to. And I can tell you more about that in a minute. That's so much information. I feel like as you were going, I feel like my, I, you remember those old school calculators that used to have the paper <laughs> rolls on them and they made all the noise. And as you hit enter, I felt like that was what my brain was doing as you were dropping all of these things. Um, one note that, that I love that you shared is the expansion of context of lid. So not just kind of this, where, where are college students, but let's look at MSIs, let's look at HBCUs, let's look at student athletes. I know um, I started my career in athletics and we weren't really talking about leadership. It was the team captain um, or a, a four or five year veteran student athlete who had, who had played extensively. But in the last 10 years, you've seen this explosion of student athlete leadership development programs grounded in leadership development literature instead of being, well, this coach is a winning coach and we're going to do everything that winning coach said, and then I'll be a leader or then I'll be successful. And so, um, you know, it's nice to see that these models that are in this space are getting connected to these other contexts and cons and, and areas and, and really pushing the advancement and the development um, of this. Um, can you talk a little bit about though, kind of, you, you talked about the process of, of, kind of gathering information and kind of tracking it. But can you talk a little bit about how this may have showed up in you leading the author teams? So kind of applying like, not the model to yourself, but in this space, I'm sure you developed as a leader, grew or learned as a leader. Can you talk a little bit about kind of your leadership space in leading the author teams? I wish I had a more complex answer to this, Lauren, and probably I wasn't giving enough time for personal reflection and reflexivity in the process, but basically it was easy as I felt, you know, I picked good people had lots to say and let them do their thing, you know, is how I felt. Um, so, so there is, I think Dan's heard me say this before, but there's this old Stephen Covey book called Leadership is the Speed of Trust. And to me, that's like so, so essential in how you work with people. So to me, the folks who I invited, I knew they were known quantities who are uh, trusted that they were going to have something worthwhile to say. They weren't going to just be regurgitating existing information, but really be pressing on the field a little bit who weren't afraid to speak truth to power. Um, um, now that I'm getting older, I remember I'm like, oh, people, I'm not always necessarily hearing the whole story. I, you know, it's been interesting to realize that people are showing up a certain way for me, maybe, um, because of my tenure in the field and maybe differently at other places. And so um, inviting people who are not afraid to have criticality and what they said about this, um, you know, esteemed model. Um, and so, so that was exciting to me is to sort of really be able to surface early career scholars. Um, one of the chapters, the articles I'm most excited about is the last one where I got to be with these um, early career scholars 
um, I call them badass live women. Can I say that on the podcast? <laughs> you can delete that out of my kids. Um, but Adrian Britton, um, Brittany DeVise, Cheryl Hassel Goodman, Becca Shetty, we had a conversation and I was like, so you all, they all did some kind of dissertation that approximated lid or was looking at aspects of lid and criticality. And so I started like, what do you think of this? You know, I can't even imagine you know, the constraints and the possibilities of lid. So it was really um, because I'm so embedded in how it was formed, right? So it was so fun to like say, um, what do you want to tell us? What do you want to tell the field about how this is really working on the ground? And they had some fascinating um, kinds of things. They're like, here's what we liked about, about lid. Here's what's working for us. And here's where it needs to grow and get better. Um, and so if you read, it's um, article 11, exploring the utility limitations and possibilities of a lid model. Um, there's some really cool, really concrete things for practice. And for example, one of the things I said, we need a, a, a guidebook on how to apply LID. So we really need like a functional, like a handbook that has sort of um, things you can learn using an emerging leaders course or, you know, active leaders kind of courses, um, um, as well as a classroom about how to do some of this stuff. So that was just one small practical application, but they had a lot of ideas. Lid and mental health, nobody's written about that as far as I know. If anybody needs a dissertation topic or a thesis topic. Um, so I hope this whole volume is filled with ideas of people who want to push the field forward. Um, if you're interested at all in this, you might check out some of these different pieces. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that and, and dropping those names. Becca was actually, Rebecca Shetty, Dr. Rebecca Shetty was on talking about her dissertation work uh, after, um, I, I don't know where I saw her, where Dan saw her, but um, she came on and, and talked a lot about her work. And, and I love that that's the wrap up at the end. It's like, oh, we talked about some things, but like, wait, there's more. And kind of giving the, the newer emerging scholars, you know, that kind of free range to go out and um, continue to explore. It's funny that you know that, Lauren, because originally this chapter was going to be returning to the original LID team. And Laura Osteen and others were like, I'm busy. You know, they were definitely willing to be supportive, but they have busy lives going on. Not that these folks aren't busy either. Um, but, you know, I sort of say, why am I working so hard to get this group of people together um, who would be wonderful and would have their own insights? Each of them could do a better volume um, uh, on this on this topic um, based on the ways that they've use lit in their own careers and lives. Um, Susan Longerbeam, uh, Felicia Manella, these are the founding uh, founding research team. But I said, you know what, you know, going backwards, what if we went forwards? And so that was this kind of seismic shift in developing the volume I thought was really cool. Um, so it was, a, you know, it was the end of the semester. I was like, can you give me two hours? And you know, of course we took three hours because it was just this amazing conversation. Um, it's helpful to hear like the things they liked about lit was really interesting. Like, like you know, what really works for people is that it is so useful for program development. That's probably why it lasted. The utility of LID is that, you know, this idea that students can sort of have a scaffolding for they can see the developmental progression they're supposed to be on in relation to leadership. Um, and so they can say, okay, I'm in a transition phase and that's okay. It's like all developmental theories. It's okay that I'm feeling discombobulated. There's going to be new opportunities and experiences as I go through um, this model. People like the recursive nature that you can revisit prior stages, like teaching all that to students. Um, people really like that it maps onto other developmental models so they could use LID and um, the social change model, but also like the, again, the newer folks, there's uh, LID and the culturally relevant leadership learning model is in one of the chapters on the articles in this volume. Um, so it's really cool to see people um, finding those kinds of things in common. So, and then I don't know if you want to talk about some of the misunderstandings. <laughs> I was like, 
where do people misuse this? Right. And so the team was like, oh, I've got stuff to say. Right. <laughs> we so, love to hear about that. Yeah. No, it's like, I, that's why I was like, that's why I have people like that were trust for that. Right. That they trusted that I would do something. I wouldn't, we wouldn't be offended and we do something good with this. Um, you know, they said, we see so many bad programs where, or not bad, but programs where um, the folks haven't really understood LID. And so they start with year one as emerging, right? As stage one and year two is stage two. And, and so those who engage with the model recognize that most college students come to college and stage three for LID. So that would sort of be a misuse of the model. Um, although if it works for them, maybe that's okay too. Like, you know, we go back and forth about that. Um, how we assess lid, like there's this danger of putting people in boxes. Um, you're such a stage three, you know? So um, I think it was Brittany DeVise who said at Florida State, some of our students who really wound up because they wouldn't see themselves in the highest levels. And so if you're an achievement oriented person, you're like, I need to be a this and what do I do to be this? And like, instead of kind of honoring that we're in this journey and to be in the moment together. So that's a cautionary tale too, like how we don't misinterpret people or erroneously label people instead of saying there's lots of complex ways to, um, to, to do the world. So there's just a couple of ways that people are sort of, um, there's some dangers, right? Um, and then they sort of forecast with like, what could be going. Um, and there's another, another, just a nerd moment. A lot of people don't understand grounded theory. So a lot of the critiques, I think we've had two major critiques over the years of LID. And one has been, you did all this on 13 students from 2004 <laughs> when we gathered our data. And it's like, well, that's how grounded theory is, right? Lauren, who's working in her dissertation can tell you that's a lot. It takes, like, it takes three years to interview 13 students three times um, each around their identity development, especially because the lifespan kind of model. Um, and so this team, the future scholars were very defending about, yes, you can have, if it's meaningful to you, you can have worth in a grounded theory, doesn't have to have a large N as we have in quant studies, right? Um, so anyway, I thought that was funny. I love that you're taking it in this this direction. Um, I have, I guess I have a comment and a question before I kind of build off of, of that another way. You know, one of the interesting things that I, I remember chatting with, I think it was Maybe I had an opportunity to chat with, maybe it was you, going back to the LEI 2012. And I remember you interviewed Susan Comavez in like a meet the press style, you know, like general session or, or something like that. And there was some conversation around, around live there. And I remember thinking to myself, well, this is such a good model for like a really specific age group, right? And and really being careful in my mind, because I was presenting on something there, you know, this is my first year on the tenure track. And I remember getting some feedback from, from Susan Comavez on the presentation and I had made some, I'd made some leaps, I guess you'll say, um, with how I was applying it to like a, a teaching model. And, and after that conversation, I think y'all in like separate places or times during the, during that event, you know, I, I was like, you know what, I, maybe there's some, uh, maybe I'm malusing it too, or, or what have you. And just, you know, thinking about it in different ways. But one of the questions I, I guess I've had is where, where might you steer folks? Cause I think about David Day's work and I see there's that um, co-authored piece with was with Ron Riggio and Susan Murphy and Stephanie Johnson around the lifespan. I know that David Day's done a ton of research on lifespan development of leaders. So there, this is kind of like in the middle, right? We don't have much, or maybe you could steer listeners in the direction of youth leadership development, which is way underexplored. I think there's much more being explored about adult development and leadership. And then you're this model is like stuck in the middle, right? Like 18 to 25. 20 what was the oldest participant in in the study yeah, that's about right you're, you're close to yeah. it i think it was 23 24 yeah and so you know just thinking about like we know so much more from this study and studies that have explored it in more depth or replicated or what have you about that 
age group, right? That traditional student, first time in college, out of high school type of thing. But when we're looking, you know, I've always wondered about like, what would a lid for adults look like, you know? Um, <laughs> or what would, what would a lid for teens look like, you know? Um, what do you tend to share when folks ask you about that? Well, and I, what's, again, that was exciting is that people are doing this yeah. research. Um, so mm-hmm. Melissa Rocco's dissertation looked at post-college lid and sort of mm-hmm. looked, especially, um, again, we're we're nerding out here. If you don't know the model, oh, we yeah. can send sources. But like, <laughs> um, especially because we five and six in lid model were sort of hinted at. There are a few students we think inhabited that, but many, even the students in our study, maybe weren't at generativity or internalization and synthesis. And Mel's like, do these even exist? And so, you know, really got into that and saw what might this look like in people's careers. So um, Melissa Rocco and Carrie Priest have an uh, article extending the scope of leadership identity development that looks at those kinds of questions. Um, and they kind of, you know, I asked them to do kind of what you're talking about, Dan, to like look at pre and like how people are extending across the lifespan. And they're like, we're going to double down on complexity. <laughs> like all of this is a complexity story. Um, and so they review the existing research about pre-college leadership identity development and post-college leadership identity development. But really they say we're all on this journey and we just sort of um, add a layer of complexity to help people think about lids. So I think that's a really cool thing. And then, and then to your point about the leader identity development research, one of, to me, to me, like maybe, I will say with my women in leadership book, I think one of the biggest contributions I made was the glossary <laughs> to find 40,000 terms that we all maybe don't understand or use interchangeably. So same thing with this one. It was, to me, it's important to name your term. So I spent a, it was a lot harder than I thought to like do between leader identity, leadership identity, leader development, leadership development, leader identity development, leader, you know, you start adding the permutations and it was a long list of like, I put forward what I use um, for those kinds of models, but it was really cool to see how Stephanie Johnson, Susan Murphy and Ron, um, how far the leader identity research has gone as well. And they actually now have a lifespan approach. Um, there's a leadership quarterly article um, by Lou et al, 2021 on leader development lifespan. Um, and so I actually put that against all of this meta-analysis we've been doing on the LID research. And there's a table in the opening chapter of this volume the opening article of this volume. And it sort of says which one of us is doing which things. So for example, um, the leader identity, the leader identity development people have done a lot more work with trait theory, right? And like how like even innate traits are related to leader identity development. We have done nothing in leadership <laughs> identity in leadership identity development around trait theory. So that's so that's interesting. And vice versa, you know, we're have all this emerging work about criticality and, and identities and power and leadership. And there's not as much of that in the leader identity research that I was able to find. So it was interesting to see places where we all had holes and vacuums. Um, the leader identity work had some done work on romantic relationships and leader. I was like, what? We haven't done lid and romance. <laughs> so, and so, so, you know, it's just kind of, again, I think this, to me, this is exciting to sort of look at the holes and where people might want to plug in and start looking at some of this stuff. So. Yeah, one of the things that, and maybe this is an idea for someone who's, uh, you know, looking for a dissertation topic or sabbatical, or or maybe uh, shoot me an email if you're if you're interested. But I'm thinking, you know, what about, or has anyone ever approached y'all with what about followership identity, right? Like, has that has that come up in conversation? I'm just so curious because it's y'all better, it's, y'all better stop offering <laughs> people ideas for writing and more work. We are tired. We're just ending the pandemic. As a dissertationer now, whatever the official title is, you better stop offering these ideas. Store mm-hmm. them in your your parking lot in your Google Drive for when we can handle the world. <laughs> 
but I do like that uh, that twist. Follow yeah. identity model. I, I mean, am, what? Right, right. Well, I am woefully under knowledge. <laughs> I have very little knowledge on followership. I sort of um, just never. I didn't understand. I think that body of literature till in the last few years, where I'm like, oh, they're really talking about inclusive leadership. Like I, I sort of had a more hierarchical look at what it was. So I sort of dismissed it outhand. And there's a really funny story. Uh, last year at ILA, I was on an elevator with Peter Northhouse and some people. And he's, he was asking me if I teach the followership chapter in the Northhouse book. And I was like, no, I skipped that. And the whole elevator was full of people who from the followership pre-conference and they all audibly gasped. And I was like, so I turned beet red and tell her. So, so Dan, I am not your person to talk about followership, but there's a whole group of people at the International Leaders Association who would have lots to say about that kind of story, such as good one. Yeah. I love that. No, I'm just curious if it had come across and and it's, you know, it's really interesting to see that part of our field really start. It's, it's, it's growing really quickly now. Followership. Uh, in fact, we might need to have some of those organizers on as we get maybe to reflect on the global followership conference that happened in April at Christopher Newport University or the one that they're now planning for Glasgow, Scotland next April, which is just kind of getting going and and just that proliferation of the followership uh, member community. But we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about new directions. And so one of the things um, I wanted to piggyback off that you were saying earlier about like program development, program design, and how folks might use this issue specifically. And one of the things I want to point out for listeners is that I guess it's all but two of the, what did you say, 11 chapters? Is that right? Um, yeah. Are open access. So, you know, take a look at that on, on Wiley's website and we'll put the link to the issue in the in the show notes. And, and hopefully you can access the other two articles if you're really interested in those through your uh, through your library or or what have you. But that that's really, really great. And so I guess, you know, piggybacking off of that would be how do you envision, I mean, what, what are your hopes and dreams for how program architects, leadership educators might use this resource? I love program architect. That's a nice thing <laughs> to steal that verbiage. I never think of myself as a program architect, but maybe that'll help me with my course planning this fall. Um, <laughs> I use that phrase. Well, and so I think part of it is just, if you're just, if you're just, if you're using original lid stuff, stop and pause and think maybe I should be engaging more in deeper lid. So I don't want to call it D lid yet. We're not that cool. We have an acronym, but like, I think we need to talk about D lid, <laughs> right? So D- deeper lid um, is, Really, and I was very much inspired again by early career faculty, especially the work of Erica Weiberg at Florida State. If you've not read her dissertation about criticality and leadership education, about how you know we are there's white supremacy embedded in everything that we do in leadership education. Um, Antron Mahoney writes about walls of whiteness in leadership education. Lauren Irwin um, says he talks about how leadership. Um, education sits at this place of contestation and tension. So I think we have to not be scared of all that and and we need to engage the tension. So what I hope um, architects and uh, curriculum planners and people use is the deeper lid is leadership identity development plus you acknowledge that the embedded nature of leadership of lid. Lid doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? People exist in these um, systems and structures that confer different amounts of power, privilege, oppression onto people. And so we have to talk about that. Some of this is just the shift in our whole field. You know, we always say leadership is interdisciplinary, um, but it has such strong roots in psychology. And the leader identity, the leader identity development work comes out of psych, psych very much so, right? That's why they have focus on traits. That's why they have um, um, sort of real clarity on some of their constructs. Whereas I think more and more 
the student development pieces are moving towards sociological embeddedness in how they do things. So, so we need to have to not just reflect on your own journey, but your own journey happens within these multiple kind of Bronfenbrenner levels of context, right? Um, Weiberg tells us we need to interrogate leadership models for racial blindness. And Lauren Irwin also has a great piece out about this in Journal of Leadership Studies. Um, and so kind of looking at that and then cultivating more liberatory approaches to leadership. So to me, D-LID is LID plus these kinds of things. So I hope if let's say you use LID to scaffold a program, you wouldn't just have stage three, four or five as your classes. You would also have classes on um, what does leadership and leader liberation look like? How does identity, um, other aspects of identity uh, manifest on your own leadership identity development journeys? And so kind of talking about that stuff, um, where are context and culture in the leadership identity development journey? So that's what I'm hoping. I hope that people um, more maybe expand or enhance. Many people are already doing that. So basically I can't tell if I'm, we're just reflecting them, right? <laughs> I'm reflecting the practitioners who are already way ahead, the Jessica Chung's, we were just talking about her earlier, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, you know, the people are already doing some of this work and coming from that place, right? Um, or, but so this is sort of official sanction to say, please do that work, right? And, and when you're over your programming with lit. Does that answer your question, Dan? I'll answer for Dan. It does. Yes. Because it made me think about <laughs> after, after however many years of partnership, well, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll let Dan answer in a minute. However, what it, what it made me think about is, is in a, in a good space, right? Like an industry or an area or, or a subsect, like you want this intersection of the conversations people are having, the conference presentations, the scholarship, like you all want it to be almost like this continual moving thing. And it feels like this is, is kind of another part in this continuing conversation about LID that's happening across different spaces. And, and it feels like um, it's contributing and it's recapping a little bit, it's challenging a little bit, like here's some new ideas, here's kind of where the old ideas need to be updated. And, and it, it really speaks to the space of where in a space where right now society is changing faster and and differently than we've ever seen it before and so we're going to toss this concept in and this work because we recognize that all of these things are changing like race and gender wasn't at the forefront and wasn't a discussion years ago but now it's important so what do we know and how can we foster that so that's what it feels like i could be wrong that sound, that's, if we did that, Lauren, I'd be so happy. That's kind of, you know, that's really where we're trying to go with this is like, how do we sort of um, uh, bring this into the, you know, we don't want to lose, like I said, people are finding it so useful. Um, you don't want to toss it out because there may be gaps or um, my own blinds. I, I wrote a little piece of my own reflection about how we were five identifying white women, you know, and how that might've been shaped our interpretation on the student data. And like, even though, Crenshaw has already done her work on intersectionality for 20 years. We did lit. I hadn't, I didn't know that term, right? We weren't talking about that in 2000. I wasn't talking about that in 2003. Um, gender identity and Butler, you know, these things didn't, weren't part of our conversations. Although we use the model of multiple identity development and we talked with various conversations with scholars of color around the original lit research about how they might think, see things differently and tried to put some of that. It now seems like not enough, right? When you go back. Um, and so so I like where you're going. So if we're adding layers of complexity onto this, that's awesome. Yeah, well, that's what you want though, because it like I, I read something like if you're like if you're not not embarrassed by your first draft, then you're not really doing it, right? <laughs> but I, and I don't think this is embarrassing. I don't, and that's not what I'm saying. But what I mean is, as you're putting things out in conversation, you're putting it out so people are reflecting and discussing. Like if you don't put this out, 
then you don't get that feedback about scholars of color or gender. I mean, I imagine in like 30 years, gender is going to evaporate anyway at the rate it's going. <laughs> so, so someone might look at this and say, well, why are you even talking about gender? It doesn't matter anymore. Like, you, you know, and so, so, but, but you have to put it out there in order to get that feedback. And so it feels good that this volume is put out there with intentional, critical thought from people who are knowledgeable, but also not afraid to really revisit these concepts and see, do they still work? And in what ways do they still work? Um, yes. And, and again, just so grateful for the contributions of scholars of color in this volume. Um, Nick Tapia and Cameron Beatty's chapter on social identities and leadership identity development, V. Chinu and Maritza Torres, Critical Perspectives. Um, the, uh, they summarize these bodies of leadership I keep talking about. So they're both a great place to say, what is, don't we actually know about these things? And then how do we push forward? Um, Natasha Terman and Lauren Irwin on Centering Minority Serving Institutions. So really excited about um, some of the criticality pieces in this volume. Yeah, yeah. And even, I mean, the ideas of MSIs, I wonder if they even existed when you first looked at the LID model. Like I've been in my dissertation, I did kind of talk about what is higher education and I didn't realize how new those concepts were, MSIs, HSIs. It, like I, I thought HBCU started when the college started. And lo and behold, I found out HBCU started after civil rights legislation in the 1960s. But in my mind, Lincoln University has existed since 1837. It's been an HBCU since the beginning. Look at Lauren Learning. It has not, <laughs> not start until, and I think it was it was President Nixon, maybe, that was the, the push behind eight, HBCUs first, and then later, uh, maybe 2008, uh, I have to go back and look at my notes, but HSIs and MSIs weren't, um, there's a wonderful page on the federal government website that talks about all of this, Title Three, maybe? Anyway, I say that to say, I wonder if these concepts even, these contexts even existed when you were doing your work. Um, so, so. And it's such a good point, Lauren, like about how we like, do we throw it out and cancel the original work? Or do, like you said, do we bring it to the present and find what parts are useful of it and which parts need to be re-examined? And it sounds like that's what you're doing with your dissertation. That's what I'm doing with this. So it's a great process for anybody who's going to be in the edu higher education field, right? right. And, and I don't know that we know enough about the history of higher education. Like I know I've taken the classes, but there's so much more that I've uncovered that I, I didn't realize I knew or I needed to know about how higher education works. Uh, anyway, tangent that we can <laughs> save for later. Um, can you, have you um, thought about or heard about ways that leadership educators can use like a chapter or a concept in practice. Like one of the things we like to talk about is if I'm teaching a class, like I, like I'm teaching my comm leadership class, what can I take from this volume and, and immediately bring into the classroom for a discussion or an activity or, or an assignment? Like what, what would you recommend? Well, um, this is a perfect, you, know, you set me up perfectly to talk about um, Article 7 and 8. Um, uh, Paige Abercurrent and Darren Pierre wrote an article on, on student involvement as a catalyst for leadership identity development. So if I was working, I teach a lot of undergrads, so I might give them that piece to look at um, just how um, clubs and organizations, student government, sororities, fraternities, what are they finding? And then ask the students to like interrogate that, uh, you know, do those ring true to them based on their experience in those organizations? That could be fun. Summer Odom and Allison Den wrote a piece on curricular um, settings for leadership. So if I were teaching an, a credit bearing class, I might use that article to help shape what I'm doing. They actually reviewed ways that people have tried to do LID in classroom context and give some ideas 
um, a personal development project they use. So there's actually concrete examples in both of those chapters that I think will be really helpful. And then maybe most, I don't know, most exciting, like on the horizon coming up is Lindsay Hastings and Hannah Suderman. Finally, 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 we're going to have a lid, a valid and reliable lid scale, um, which has not existed. Um, for those of you who know, in 20 years, we've had multiple, multiple attempts to, it feels like for Susan and I, people would call us every year, you know, a couple of times a year about, I'm going to make a lid scale. But I think we finally have the right people at University of Nebraska um, with the right talents. We're going to make this happen. So they're really using this iterative process to um, see if we can actually have a measure. And so how nice to be in any of those program spaces and be able to sort of have people take a scale, see where they fall, again, critique whether that feels true to them, you know, if that is their journey, um, how might they want to move forward? Um, can they develop complexity? Um, so any, the insights um, that that can give them. So that is, they are um, gathering the data now. So that, that's imminent. Um, and I keep waiting, I keep looking for conference sessions. I'm like, ooh, is the Hastings-Senderman scale going to be ready soon? Um, and so there's an article that reviews all the prior attempts, including I have a rubric I use to assess leadership and any development. And that's never been published. It was like a handout from 2010 ILA. Um, so it's so nice to finally be like, hey, it's, it's in print. You can go to this New Directions volume and get that rubric and just see um, you can, I use it to evaluate student portfolios, you know, and I could actually see like the mismatch between one of the things we know in LID is that students might use language higher or lower than the stage they're in. Um, and so a student, will, especially I find with many bright students, they're like really sophisticated in their language. And then I realize they don't really actually, their actions don't match their words, right? So students like, I am a collaborative relational leader who totally is committed to work with others. Here is the document I wrote for student government all by myself. And here's a picture of me on a mountain. And here is, you know, and so all of their artifacts or evidence are really positional and sort of lid stage three, but the, all their writing and reflection is, uh, you know, from chat, baby, GPT, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like all their, it's very, it's very, they, they got the, they read the book and got an A on the test, right? But they weren't embodying it. And so the rubric has been really helpful to that, help people kind of align their um, actions with their words. And that promotes development, right? Um, conversely, we have people who've always been practicing more collaborative kinds of approaches to leadership. And they're like, oh, I'm not a leader. Like they don't even think of themselves a leader at all. And them having some of the language of the stages also, oh, maybe I am just because I'm, you know, addressing homelessness and food insecurity on my campus, you know, <laughs> maybe that is leadership because the, according to the lit model, I'm really doing in more advanced ways than maybe some of my peers who have positional leadership. So um, um, that kind of usage, I think, is really exciting and important, too. So um, the Hastings Centerman chapter reviews that. Wendy Wagner has a Q-sort dissertation on lid. So all the attempts to assess and measure lid over the years, again, We've never had that in one place, like the story of assessing lid. <laughs> so these, each of these pieces, I think, stand alone really well as far as like, I want, what is the story of lid in curricular settings? What is the story of lid in assessment? What is the story of lid in futures? Um, so I hope people, if they don't use the whole volume, they take all these articles and use them as they need to. Love that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I remember, um, and I'm taking a look at this, this uh, article with uh, that, uh, Lindsay and, and Hannah wrote, and um, I, I've seen the artifacts too of uh, some of the research that Wendy Wagner did. And I remember um, it's funny that that same um, that same LEI um, asking Susan, "Has anyone thought of like assessing or developing an assessment?" You know, and so like obviously I know because I had an opportunity to work with with Hannah during um, 
ILA does the Emerging Scholars Research Consortium, and I was I you know lucked out, and we've had uh, Hannah and Lindsay on the podcast before. I lucked out being assigned as a senior scholar uh, for for Hannah, and I was like, oh my gosh, like you're doing amazing work, and wow, like we've been waiting for this because I remember having an opportunity to chat with Wendy Wagner like probably a decade ago, and she's like, yeah, you know, we're working on this, but we're not quite there, and I don't know, you know, and um, but I see that you know there's evidence of that in this article, and sometimes these things that we find in grounded theory, it's hard to create a quantitative measure for assessing them, right? And so I mean, mixed methods research, yay, right? You know, and sometimes it takes twenty years. <laughs> to design something that can evaluate. And it's really exciting to see where this is at. And um, I didn't know that, that that had been some questions that were included in the MSL. And that gave them an opportunity to collect some great data on that and to do some factor analysis. I guess analysis, or well, it's, that's, that's redundant. Um, some evaluation <laughs> using the factor analysis <laughs> approach, um, which was what I used in my, my own dissertation. And that's as far as I know about statistics. When we get right to like multi-level modeling and stuff, I'm like, yeah, you need to call Hannah and Lindsay. Um, and so, um, but just just really exciting to, to see that. And so that, that, and real quick, that rubric that you mentioned that you were using to evaluate portfolios, it's, it's in that chapter? Yes, it is. Okay. So. Yeah. Like, you know, thinking about, you know, Lauren's teaching that comm class. I'm teaching an intro to leadership class again as part of my teaching load this fall. And I don't think I have them journal enough on like where they are. I mean, we they are introduced to the model. They explore it because we we still use the exploring leadership text. But I think there's maybe some more opportunities for that. So, yeah. Oh, Dan, I, I misspoke. It's not in this chapter. Sorry. Okay. They- the rubric and they cite it, um, but it can be found. It's actually going to be in Mel Rocco's forthcoming volume, Mel Rocco and Darren Pierre on um, different theoretical frames. Oh, great. So it's actually, a, it's the NDSL 180, I believe. So, okay, great. Yay, sorry, sorry. Um, so sorry. I'm writing a piece with Dr. Awa Yamanaka um, and we decided to finally publish the rubric based on that Lindsay and them didn't have space to do it. So, yeah. No, that's great. And we we look forward to having them on to talk about that issue when it comes out um, as well. So maybe they'll give it to you early, Dan. Maybe they'll slide it. Maybe (laughs) if you know know Melissa well enough, maybe she'll give you a sneak peek. (laughs) She already improved it. I had students versus student. Like she'd already, you know, they've already helped me make some edits on it. So it's um, been, it's exciting. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, I mean, what a, Fantastic conversation. Really excited about about this issue, and and there's still a couple of chapters that that I need to to dive into, and and hope our listeners will have an opportunity to to really really dive in as well. Dive into the deep end of deeper lid of this, and just curious, is there anything we didn't ask you that you want to make sure to share with listeners about this issue? No, but just even as we're reflecting on the assessment, I'm like, oh, if we have a lit assessment now, we'll need a D-lit assessment. So <laughs> it goes back to our theme from our whole conversation is that things ever static, right? Like we're always, and and that means um, everyone has something to add. That's what soaks. That's what I love leadership as a field is that um, there are no sacred cows, as they used to say, um, and you can always have your own voice and your own um, kind of piece to it. So I hope people feel like this is an invitation for them to continue to do their work and bring their sort of lenses and um, experiences to the leadership identity research versus saying that doesn't apply anymore. Um, sort of thinking about ways that they can contribute to the field. And then to realize we don't have to always be creating wholesale new things and that sometimes research leadership scholarship feels incremental. Like we're, oh, I'm adding this little, we added the letter D, deepening, right? You know, now it's this big advancement, but um, it can be really meaningful when you start to see magnify the effects onto students and other learners and ourselves. So um, just to help people feel the invitation to be part of this journey. 
and do some of those things we talk do take on the mantles of many of the dissertation topics that Lauren <laughs> we should give Lauren in that no <laughs> Lauren didn't suggest no dissertation. <laughs> you know it, it makes I I also a good friend of mine did her dissertation recently on metaphors and I'm so it all now I feel like I'm on high alert to metaphors and it feels like a really good library like you start with like one book and then you get the nifty um, magazine holders to hold the printed articles that you have. And, and so so the hope is there's this beautiful lid library bookshelf somewhere growing in like leadership heaven or leadership, whatever, however you identify, whatever it's called. feels like there's this good lid library that's building and that we all have access to it as we kind of continue to explore uh, better ways of teaching and working in leadership spaces. So love that. And while standing on the shoulders of Susan, who first come of us, who first asked that powerful question, everyone's saying what leadership is, but no one says how we develop. Like that was the that just a powerful query that led to all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so never underestimate the power of a single sort of prompt or your own curiosity um, can lead to this set of lifetime body of work for her and others. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing it. You know, we're big fans of yours, of course. And so we appreciate you coming on the show, you you talking about this with us and just are grateful for your time and just and your contributions to the leadership community. We want to wish you the best of luck on your projects, your partnerships, getting started with the semester and, and just, again, appreciate how much you've contributed to this space. And vice versa. Lauren cannot wait to get my hands on your uh, emerging research. And Dan is always up to good things. You know, Dan, I say, I say, always. I, I say D Jenkins a lot. So um, just thank you for being part of that. Uh, thank you for letting me be part of this generative space. And what a, what a contribution you all made um, with sort of bringing this format to people who maybe find the scholarship distancing and, and, and not inclusive. So thank you for all the work you've done in the legacy of the Leadership Educator podcast. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators the Association of Leadership Educators, and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at 
ilaglobalnetwork.org.